Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Wednesday, November 2nd. I'm Dan Malthrop. I'm the chief executive here, also a proud member. And it's my pleasure and honor to introduce our forum today. Leading up to next week's election, and it is just seven days away, the City Club of Cleveland and our debate committee, which is run by members of the City Club, extended invitations to the candidates running for Ohio Attorney General. Today, we will hear from Democratic candidate Representative Jeff A. Crossman. His opponent, the incumbent Attorney General, Republican Dave Yost, declined our invitation to debate. So today we're just doing an interview with Representative Crossman. Representative Jeff Crossman began his first term serving in the Ohio House of Representatives in the General Assembly in January of 2019. He's currently serving his second term and represents the 15th Ohio House District, which is comprised primarily, primarily of Parma, Brooklyn Heights, Cuyahoga Heights, and parts of Southwest Cleveland. Mr. Crossman was born in Wycliffe, Ohio, earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Mount Union and a master's degree from the University of Akron. And if that wasn't enough, he went on to earn a law degree from Cleveland State University's College of Law. He is a practicing attorney, um, in, mostly in the private sector and mostly in real estate in the private sector. Before joining the Ohio House, Jeff served as a, a Parma City Councilman for five years. If you have a question for the candidate, please text it to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794. You can see it on your screen. You can also tweet it at the City Club and we will work it into the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, let's say hello to Representative Jeff Crossman. Hi, Dan, thanks, and uh, please call me Jeff. You got it, Mr. Representative. Um, last time. So I, I wanted to just start off by giving you a few minutes to um, to make your pitch. Uh, the undecided voters are, are watching, they're listening, they'll find this on YouTube. What do you want them to understand about you? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and thank you for doing this forum. It's, I think it's important for voters to hear uh, from candidates and, and incumbents and um, disappointed my opponent uh, refused to participate. I think it's important for people to hear from us. It was honestly uh, a surprise to me. It was a surprise. Perfect. It was a surprise to me. Dave has always said yes to um, Dave Yost has always said yes to invitations to debate. But this is a weird year. It is a weird year. And I think, you know, the incumbents, unfortunately, have not wanted to be held accountable for their record. And, you know, I stepped up to run for Ohio Attorney General because when I went to, to the Ohio House to serve, uh, you know, I went there with the best of intentions to work in a bipartisan manner, to, to try to reach across the aisle, to solve uh, problems in Ohio in a pragmatic sense. And, you know, when I joined the House, we were, we were uh, you know, facing some real deep cuts in local governments that made it difficult uh, for local governments to provide challenge or uh, to provide services to their communities. Uh, I, I recognized and felt those challenges firsthand as a former city councilman, as you pointed out. You know, we were talking about whether or not people were entitled to health care if they had pre-existing conditions and how we were going to fund our public schools. And, and that's really why I went down there. And, you know, I didn't uh, anticipate uh, just the state house being so rife with corruption, uh, self-dealing and, uh, you know, lack of interest in truly solving, uh, you know, house problems. You know, I decided to step up and run for attorney general because we, we need some balance in our state government again. We need to have some more moderation. We need someone that's uh, standing up for Ohioans' rights, uh, protecting Ohioans, and uh, supporting the Constitution, and, and uh, taking politics out of the Attorney General's office. So people think the Attorney General's office is supposed to be partisan, but in my view, it should be more nonpartisan, almost like a judicial uh, position where you're simply enforcing the law, applying the law, and doing what you can to support Ohioans across the board. So. 
I stepped up to run. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, we have to solve this corruption problem in the state of Ohio. Uh, Ohio is ranked number one in the country by the FBI for a reason. And there's been very precious little done to actually correct that. So that's among the reasons why I stepped up to run. Corruption um, is a big issue. It's something I paid a lot of attention to. It's something that um, that I, I mean, I've been really surprised that, for instance, HB6 um, was not repealed, um, has has yet to be repealed, has yet to actually be addressed. Uh, a fix has yet to be offered by the legislature. Um, from the vantage point of a, a candidate for the attorney general's office or as attorney general, what would you do to address the the, the corruption that you see? And, and what, what are you seeing? You alluded to self-dealing. You alluded to um, to widespread corruption. Are you seeing crimes that are going un, uh, unaddressed? Well, I'll take the first part of that question. First of all, let me point out that the nuclear bailout portion of that bill has been repealed uh, by the legislature, but there's subsidies that are still being paid by Ohioans across the state, regardless of whether or not you live in First Energy's footprint. You're paying for that, and it's uh, we've paid approximately $280 million in counting, according to the Ohio Consumers Council. And we continue to pay another $8 million every single month to fund and subsidize two power plants, one of which is actually located in Indiana. So at a time when people are concerned about the cost of living and the increasing costs of things, you know, we continue to pay more for our electricity in the state uh, than we should be. Uh, you know, by one account, uh, I did some research on this. The only study I found, it, it shows that high levels of state corruption cost states, uh, and this state study came out of Illinois uh, over a 20-year study period, $10.6 billion to the state's economy. And I got to believe Ohio is very similar, $500 million a year in adverse economic uh, impact. And that impacts our ability to grow and attract jobs. It impacts ability uh, for people to retain college graduates, which we know we're having a problem with here in the state of Ohio. And we have to fight back on this corruption. And, and people aren't talking about it. It doesn't pull well, but leaders step up and talk about things that are important to the state. And that's what I've, tried to been, what I've been trying to do. Um, you know, the state of Ohio doesn't have any effort in place to root out corruption at the state government. I think we do a pretty good job of finding, locating, prosecuting you know, council folks, mayor, city county, or county commissioners, but there's nobody paying attention to the state level of corruption. And currently, I don't know that people realize this, but the largest campaign contribution you can make, whether you're running for a state representative position or governor of the state of Ohio or any, anything in between, is over $13,000. And most working people can't afford that. That means their voice is being drowned out by you know, big business special interests that can afford to write massive checks and campaign contributions uh, to candidates. And so that that you know breeds uh, a type of corruption uh, because it enables uh, those folks that have those deep pockets to buy up legislators and push their policies, regardless of whether or not they're for the benefit of Ohio. So we need to set something up in place to make sure that there is a quid pro quo uh, going on. And we've seen stories even this summer of some self-dealing that we think is happening that no one is looking at. Do you want to speak more specifically about that? Yeah, I'll say, for example, we saw a story out of Butler County where one of the state legislators down there uh, was found, was proposing legislation, uh, you know, bailout money for nursing home ministry at the same time she was accepting thousands upon thousands of dollars in her campaign account from the same folks that, that bill would benefit. Certainly looks like quid pro quo. I'm not accusing anybody of a crime, but certainly we should have things in place to take a look at it. We need to reform our uh, you know, campaign finance structure. We need to you know, have some teeth in, in the inspector general. I mean, I filed complaints to the inspector general's office. They've gone nowhere. So uh -huh. uh, 
massive overhaul to make sure we have the institutions in place so people can have the confidence that the government's actually doing the work of the people. I may be misremembering this, but I feel like I also saw coverage um, around the the gun bill that passed this year, arming, uh, allowing teachers to carry weapons after just 24 hours of training. Um, and I believe that it was offered by a colleague of yours in the legislature who has um, who uh, does gun training as as, uh, as his like side business. Yeah, those connections and relationships are all over the state house. Unfortunately, did I did I did I say that correctly? Is that do you? Yeah, remember? I, I'm remembering the same thing. You're probably remembering. I don't want to. Okay. I don't have those details right. in my mind. Well, maybe one of our. I, I'm sure that somebody from our debate committee is listening right now and can fact check for us, and and hopefully we can get some some of that information in there. Um, I want to ask you about your um, your philosophy um, with regard to law, rule of law, and the role of the attorney general's office. Um, the the philosophical stance that a public official has, I think, is really important in informing kind of how that how he or she does what he or she does, right? How you fulfill the duties of the office. So, talk about you know the philosophical stance, the the morals, the values that that drive you. Yeah, well, look, I think that government should have accountability to the people of Ohio. And um, that's really been the main uh, component of this campaign and what's been driving me. It's what led me to stand up on the floor of the Ohio House two years ago when Larry Householder was indicted and called for his expulsion. I, you know, To me, a lot of these issues that we talk about aren't right and left issues. They're simply right and wrong issues. And so I thought it was the right thing to do, even though I stood no, uh, stood not to benefit politically or otherwise to stand up and call for his expulsion um, and really, you know, continue to drive that uh, point home even after, he, uh, you know, my the colleagues on the other side of the aisle voted to keep him there and he was reelected and came back to the Ohio House. I mean, it wasn't for myself and some others there that were really dedicated to the cause and, and really willing to uh, hold him accountable uh, for uh, his role in orchestrating the largest public corruption scandal in the state's history. That he'd still be there accepting payment from taxpayers, uh, collecting a taxpayer-funded paycheck while he waits to go to trial on his federal criminal charges. So, I think accountability for me is number one. Um, it's it's you know that office and the attorney general's office is beholden to the people of the state of Ohio. You're elected as you're elected as a member of the executive branch of government. You're not there to do the, the handiwork of being you know aiding and abetting the legislature and whatever they choose to do. You're there independently elected to be a check and a balance on the, either the judicial and the, and, the, uh, and the legislative. So, yes, there's going to be times where you have to step up and defend what the legislature is doing or what, what some of the other executive offices are doing. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, Buck stops the attorney general's office with respect to uh, following the Constitution and making sure people's rights are protected. The um, you know, I'm looking at the list of, of the kind of the roles that the that the attorney general's office plays. And we've been talking about HB6 a little bit, talking about corruption. The attorney general uh, serves as legal counsel to the Public Utilities Commission. Mm -hmm. Awkward. Yeah, well, I mean, I sat down with Jennifer French after she was appointed uh, the head of UCO. And I, you know, I sit on, I serve on the Power Siding Board, which is a, a arm of, of the PCO, essentially mm -hmm. help decide what, where power, new power plants should go. And I encourage her to be as transparent as possible and called for a full independent investigation of what happened during Sam Randazzo's tenure. If we all recall correctly, First Energy admitted to bribing Sam Randazzo, paying him $4 million to do their bidding as the PUCO chair. And when, when Jennifer French took over, I encouraged her to be as transparent as possible. 
conduct a full outside and independent investigation and share those findings with the public so we can all have the confidence that the PCO was cleaned up and we knew what happened because unless you diagnose these problems, you're never going to be able to fix them. And so I was very passionate about that. And of, of course, that has none of that has been done. In fact, we found out that the uh, even limited investigation internally that UC had been uh, uh, conducting was being overseen by a, someone who had participated in the drafting of House Bill 6. So the fox was watching the hen house there, apparently. And, uh, you know, this, these types of conflicts happen all over the place. And, you know, where there are conflicts, you have to be uh, brave enough to stand up and call for independent uh, folks to come in and, and, and help out and clean up the mess. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about the the last four years. Um, as a legislator in the state house, you have been able to closely watch the work of the current attorney general, Dave Yost. Um, where has he done well? Where is he? Where has he, to your mind, let let down the office? Well, I think the office. You know, when he campaigned four years ago, he campaigned on the idea of removing politics from the office, and I think where what he's really where he's gone already is where he's gone off the track is he's amplified the politics. He's used his position to join or participate in lawsuits that have nothing to do with Ohio, for example, trying to overturn election results in the state of Pennsylvania after the 2020 election, and, and used uh, his platform to really uh, engage in political culture war type lawsuits, um, you know, putting bump stocks back on the streets of those terrible firearm uh, devices, uh, you know, uh, trying to overturn the Affordable Care Act. I mean, these things do not benefit Ohio. And yet we're wasting taxpayer dollars fighting these causes, uh, you know, attacking the LGBTQ community over the summer, which I called on him to, to dismiss his uh, Ohio's participation in that lawsuit. So these are the types of things that I think that, that have been used against Ohioans rather than promoting the welfare and benefit of all Ohioans. And of course, on the issue of choice, which I, I you know, support, uh, he, is a, he and I are, uh, have a clear contrast on that issue. Um, you know, you you talk about culture war issues. Reproductive rights um, is often seen as a culture war issue as well. It's top of your issue list on your website. I'm, I'm looking over here because I'm looking at your website. Um, <clears throat> does that, uh, you know, what obviously I think nationally Democrats have kind of decided this is the this is the issue that we're going to that everybody's going to get on board on board with. But um, how do you potentially you would find yourself in a real conflict of interest or, or a conflict with Ohio law if you're required, you know, so how do you, how do you navigate those kind of conflicts of let's call it political conscience? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, again, the attorney general swears its allegiance to the constitution. You take, when you take an oath of office, you take an oath of office to the constitution, not to the legislature. I think that's a real distinction between my, me and my opponent who has often said he is there to do the bidding of the, of the legislature. Um, and criticize me for saying that at some point you have to exercise independent judgment and say this is too far, too extreme, and mm -hmm. stand up for Ohioans. So, um, yes, it's it's a it's a top issue. I think Ohioans want to be given a fair shake in life, right? I think that's why I'm proud to be on this ticket with so many folks. Not only because the ticket is diverse, but so many folks on this ticket understand the challenges of working Ohioans. They've been working Ohioans. They come from the working class. Myself, you know, I was raised by a single mom. Who raised three of us children on a very tight budget and i know what it's like to struggle to have to get ahead in life and so i think you know having that mindset uh, giving people a fair shake and, and and i think you know the constitutional right of reproductive freedom is among that 
uh, you know, the, the case pending in Hamilton County, the judge found after listening to the evidence and looking at the law that women were being treated as second class citizens and he imposed a preliminary injunction to block Ohio's extreme six week uh, ban. And um, that's the, that's a decision that Yost made to appeal. Uh, that was his decision to do that. I think you had the decision to either let that preliminary injunction uh, sit there while the case continues to play out or appeal it. He chose to appeal it. I would have chose the other direction. In fact, if I'm elected on Tuesday, I would dismiss the appeal and let the case play out. Ultimately, that case is going to end up in the Ohio Supreme Court and, and those folks will decide. But I think in the meantime, allowing that case to whipsaw between whether you impose it or not impose the, the abortion ban, um, the extreme bill that was passed by the legislature, that's certainly within the purview of the Attorney General's office. Um, you also uh, you also talk on your website about supporting Ohio's working families, um, and uh, you know specifically what role do you see the AG's office playing there? Well, first and foremost, uh, the consumer protection function in the AG's office is paramount. I mean, it, it was a uh, it was you know, crafted in the seventies to in eighties and, and refined in the eighties under uh, uh, Anthony or I'm sorry, yeah, Anthony Celebrisi, who was our mm -hmm. Attorney General for all those years. And, um, you know, the focus was supposed to be on protecting Ohioans from, from businesses that don't uh, do right by consumers. And so that's an office we would prioritize, obviously uh, fighting on behalf of working Ohioans in the form of protecting labor unions and people's right to organize unions and uh, obviously protecting their, their rights, uh, you know, their working rights, things like prevailing wages, uh, obviously the right to organize and begin with, protecting their, their uh, ability to uh, fight for their rights under their union contracts, all of those things that, that the AG's office can be a really powerful ally for. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I have a question for you. The When you think about, and this is totally switching gears, so I apologize for not following a, a, a sort of arc of conversation here, but um, the when you think about your own experience, you've worked as, a, um, as an attorney for the Millennia Companies that are based here in Cleveland. Um, they, do, uh, they do a lot of um, real estate development, a lot of affordable housing, as well as commercial locally here in Cleveland, affordable housing across the country. Um, and prior to that, you worked for um, for another real estate company, a storage company. Um, and then you think about your the work that you've done as a Parma City Council member and as a state legislator. Um, it's an interesting set of uh, of skills, of experience. And I wonder, like, where you see what of all of these experiences, what's most valuable for the role you hope to play in the AG's office? Well, I have had a very legal career. I've, I've worked at a law firm. I've worked, I've had my own law firm. Oh yeah, you did have, yeah, that's right. You were at Benish as well. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I apologize for that. I was just thinking about more recent stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I've had the benefit of being in the private sector. I've worked with individual, you know, individuals with their legal problems uh, right here in Parma. Uh, during the recession, for example, a lot of the work we did was trying to keep small businesses afloat, mom and pop businesses for the most part. We're individuals just trying to stay in their homes. And mm -hmm. so I think all of those experience, both uh, legal and uh, public service oriented, uh, being a council in the state house, have informed me on, on, on what needs to be done on behalf of working people. Working people in the state are struggling. And mm -hmm. no wonder that people feel so frustrated. I've traveled uh, the entire state from Toledo to Ashtabula, Cleveland to Cincinnati, every part in between. And I've seen a lot of uh, uh, used to be's in Ohio, you know, places that used to have steel mills, used to have jobs and opportunities. And I understand the frustration and aggravation about state government, why people feel like it's not working for them, because quite frankly, I've seen it up close now and it hasn't been. So um, mm -hmm. I think all of those experiences have informed me uh, in terms of my mindset and, and 
are consistent with my values about what I want to try to bring to the office. Um, we received this question earlier uh, this morning that comes from a member of our debate committee, actually. For those who are not familiar with the statutory duties of the Ohio Attorney General, can you please explain what the authority is of the office to impact public policy? Does the office only enforce what the General Assembly passes, or is there discretion in what the AG chooses to pursue in terms of litigation? Well, I think that's a great question, by the way, and it's mixed. I think, as I said, the Attorney General does have some independent authority. It's a, the AG is uh, independently elected and is a member of the executive branch and does have the ability to affect certain policy areas within its purview. I mean, the AG's office is a very broad office. It, it does everything from criminal justice issues, consumer protections, what we talked about, and enforcement of environmental laws, civil rights, and, uh, and, and beyond, by the way. There's more than just that. Obviously, victims' rights, uh, oversees the Victims' Rights Fund. Um, so there's so many things that the Attorney General can engage in, depending on what they choose to prioritize. And, uh, but also, yes, you're correct. There is some sort of obligation to, to uh, enforce the law as written by the legislature as well. To the extent, um, I think it doesn't violate, you know, to the extent it doesn't violate people's civil rights. What about this ongoing conversation that we're having really in our, in our nation, not just our community, about criminal justice reform? And I mean, it is a, um, it's a conversation that, that, you know, isn't just about police activity or police violence or a given consent decree in a given community, but is really about what's the purpose of the whole justice system. And is it, uh, is there, um, is it just for you know, punishment? Is it for rehabilitation? What are we trying, what are we actually as a community trying to do? And I think people often forget as well that it's, you know, probably the, if you take, if you put aside Medicaid, it's the largest um, line in the, in the budget, in the state budget and in most communities budgets as well. When you add up police, uh, police services, public safety services and the, and jails, what's the AG's role in that broader conversation? I think the AG has a voice in that. Obviously we can't craft legislation, but certainly can add a voice and work with law enforcement, work with legislators to uh, apply their opinion in, in that regard. Um, there's been a lot of talk in Columbus about criminal justice reform, but that's such a broad term and has such a big umbrella. There's so many different components of it. Are you talking about, you know, how are people treated upon arrest? How are they treated, you know, whether they're provided an opportunity to bail out? Uh, what, you know, what does, what does sentencing look like? Um, is it fair? Um, I think these are conversations in general about justice and, and how we choose to apply justice in our country that have been going on since the founding of the country and will continue to uh, develop. And I think Ohioans have the right and should uh, lend their voice to that cause and uh, talk about what matters to them. Uh, you know, I think the attorney, Gen attorney general has an opportunity to be a bridge between communities, for example. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot about police involved shootings and the AG's uh, office, uh, the Bureau of Criminal Investigations, the BCI is an arm of the attorney general's office, does play a role in investigating a lot of these police involved shootings does have a role in, in participating in the discussion and, and hopefully can be a bridge between communities and uh, uh, law enforcement, try to bring folks together and, and figure out a way, uh, you know, to police neighborhoods that also honors our uh, civil rights uh, uh, in a way that we can all be proud of. You know, I want to ask you to talk a little bit more about it, because that's that's one of the places where an attorney general can often intersect with a, a local community um, at a at a point of real vulnerability for that community, a point where emotions are really raw. And I think we saw this when um, Governor DeWine was in the AG's office and um, stepped in to uh, take over prosecution of a, of a, 
of a case, uh, an officer involved shooting case, pretty high profile one here in Cleveland. And I think, you know, that that can happen. And increasingly, I think local prosecutors are like, hey, I don't I don't hands off. Like, I don't want to get involved in this. So how would you and these are really, really vitally important um, moments. How would you approach these cases? I think everybody expects fairness in the system, and, and that includes the law enforcement folks involved, right? And um, the community expects that the, the case is being heard in a fair way. Uh, you know, where, where I've seen sort of the missing piece in all of this discussion about uh, these types of incidents are where are the policymakers? You know, if you if you listen to the, the conversation after one of these events, you hear uh, folks say, look, we're, you know, officers are going to say that they follow procedure. If that's the case, you know, we need to look at the procedures and why they're developing. Why are the policy makers in this? Why aren't they at the table having these conversations? And I think that's the role I think when I talk about being a bridge, I think we have to bring all parties to the table and figure out how do we police neighborhoods to keep them safe? Because everybody, no matter where you live in the state, wants a safe neighborhood, wants the police to come when they're called. And the police want to do their job to the best of their ability. So I, I think we all have the same uh, goal in mind. We just have to find the best way to do it. And everybody has to be at the table on that. Mm. I should say for the benefit of our audience that on Friday, we're actually having a conversation with uh, leaders from the 4th District in the Cleveland Division of Police and um, and neighbors and citizens and residents in that district to who have been working on this ongoing process to build empathy, both within the department, within the district staff, and also throughout the community to better, you know, to, to better serve the entire community. Um, had a conversation yesterday with one of the officers and uh, he said, there are things that we would do 25 years ago that we just would never do today. And things that they're doing today that they couldn't imagine having done, you know, in terms of how they're treating uh, residents and, you know, suspects, um, people who are suspected of crimes. Um, another question uh, regarding the role of the, as chief law enforcement officer for the state, is there a legal disagreement? What what happens when there's a legal disagreement between executive offices at the state level? How do you how do you figure out what to do if you've got a dispute between the treasurer and the auditor, or the governor and your office, or something? Well, that that's a very broad hypothetical. Uh, hard to answer that question. It would depend on the case and circumstances of each situation. But um, you know, look, I I think my record shows that I've been able to work in a bipartisan manner. You know, if I'm the only Democrat elected, for example, and I have to work with Republicans across the aisle, that, that's, you know, everybody has their role to play. Everybody has their voice. And we have to figure out what's practical and what makes sense for Ohio uh, at the end of the day. The uh, another final question from this engaged debate committee member, the AG has a great deal of authority in assisting local law enforcement. What role can or should the AG play in helping to invest in social determinants of health? that would reduce exposure of the public to involvement in the criminal justice system? Well, I, I presume they mean mental health situations. Or no, I mean, I think, we, you know, a lot of the conversation that we have in that, that's happening in public policy circles, particularly in, in Cleveland, and and I think also a lot of other urban environments around social determinants of health, right? The poverty level, the um, exposure to adverse childhood experiences, um, things of that sort, uh, lead exposure. Uh, quality of housing, all of which can lead to or have an impact on the, uh, you know, an uh, adverse outcome down the road involvement, some sort of intersection with the criminal justice system that could lead to um, lead to some real challenges. Um, what does the AG does the AG have a role to play there in kind of the the root causes? Yeah, I, I think the attorney general can 
be helpful in that respect because the attorney general conducts studies and you know commission studies all the time and that's something you can prioritize you can commission some uh, research along those lines to figure out what policies are and, and might be impactful in and changing the course look we all know crime happens uh you know more in in urban communities than it does in rural communities and and uh you know people have asked me what do you plan on doing about solving crime and i'm saying we have to be advocates for communities that need real investment real opportunities, um, you know, safe housing and uh, job opportunities for people so that, you know, you take away some of these elements that do lead to crime. Um, I think, you know, having an attorney general, is, it's looking at this as a holistic way rather than just simply a law enforcement hammer uh, would go a long way into shaping public policy in that direction. We had a forum uh, at the City Club not too long ago about juvenile justice and um, the, the truly actually horrifying conditions in local juvenile justice facilities. Um, there was one question that was asked that pointed to the possibility that a juvenile, a young person, a child, had been held without trial for over a year um, because law enforcement was, the implication was that that happens because law enforcement and prosecutors were hoping to use them as a witness in another case involving an adult. Um, wh what role does the AG have in, um, in ensuring that children are treated fairly in the system? Well, children are entitled to civil rights as well. And, you know, again, the Attorney General's office runs an office of civil rights. It's supposed to be out there protecting people's civil rights across the board and juveniles are no exception. And if there's those types of, uh, you know, situations which uh, you know, lead me to think that there's violations of children's civil rights, uh, then those need to be addressed. And, um, you know, sometimes they can be addressed with, uh, you know, modifications to the policies and procedures uh, being implemented at the county level. Otherwise, uh, you know, those are uh, situations that can be addressed through uh, either state or federal lawsuits. We're talking with State Representative Jeff Crossman today. He represents the 15th Ohio House District. Uh, which is um, Parma, Brooklyn Heights, Cuyahoga Heights, parts of Southwest Cleveland. He's running for attorney general. Uh, he's the Democratic candidate, Democratic Party candidate for attorney general. We were going to do a debate. We wanted to do a debate. Attorney General Dave Yost, the incumbent running for uh, re-election, declined our invitation. So we're just doing a conversation here today with Jeff Crossman. If you have questions, we've already turned to some audience questions and community questions. If you have questions for Jeff, please text them to 330-541-5794, or you can tweet them at the City Club, and our colleagues here at the City Club will give them to me, and I'll work them into the program. Um, here's a question for you from, a, from one of our audience members. There are over three dozen colleges and universities in the state of Ohio. While some colleges, I can't believe the number's that low. I feel like it's much higher than three dozen. I mean, certainly over three dozen, but there's a bazillion. While some colleges have a great deal of support through deep legal counsels, how will you more equitably support the smaller colleges and our HBCUs? Well, the state universities are the ones that would be supported by the attorney general's office rather than mm -hmm. private universities. So um, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that's the focus is state universities under the state's, uh, on the state's dime, basically. Uh, there, well, the Central State University is a public HBCU, so presumably that would fall into the, both categories there. Another question for you, uh, do you support state issue one and issue two, both of which are on the ballot? Um, people will be making a choice on that while they make a choice on your race. Yeah, issues one and issues two, I think were really, you know, confusing ballot issues, uh, which, 
you know, kind of sort of follow the same track that we've seen in prior years where they're very cynical issues designed, they're, they're solutions in search of problems. Um, issue one was designed to really take away the judge's role in setting bail and how that's going to happen. I don't think- Let me, let me, just, let me just clarify real quick for our audience that issue one uh, says that uh, judges should take into account public safety when setting bail. And issue two, am I getting them in the right order? I think so. Correct. Correct. Issue two um, would prevent non-citizens non from voting in municipal elections. And currently a municipality under Ohio's home rule uh, practices can can allow for non-citizens to vote in municipal matters, but they are barred from by the federal constitution, by the US constitution from voting in federal elections. And I think also statewide elections too. So as you say, Solutions in search of problems. Yeah, sorry to step on you there. Uh, okay. these, these issues are more nuanced than these issues seem. To, these issues on the ballot seem to uh, relay. Uh, issue one uh, about bail. Uh, judges already take into consideration whether or not bail should be sent due to public safety reasons. The question is whether the amount should be considered as part of public safety. And what that is creating is a situation where rich people can bail out while poor people cannot. So it doesn't make the community any safer. So I think uh, issue one was poorly designed. And, uh, and uh, which is why I co-sponsored bipartisan legislation to address this issue in the state house. It's gone nowhere. Um, why was issue one introduced anyway? I mean, issue, so the way both of these wound up on the ballot through the legislature, um, why, where did issue one come from? It, so, it sort so, of appeared and I, I didn't realize there was any conversation about it. Yeah. These were rammed through the legislature without really much discussion or debate. And, um, issue one came about because there's a Supreme court decision 4-3 majority where the Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor, a Republican, voted along with the Democrats and said that the you know, prosecutors and judges, when, when asking and setting bail amounts, uh, they need to follow the law. And if they feel like there's a reason why someone should not be out on bail, then they need to follow that procedure. And um, I think it was a case where uh, it was Brant v. Pompa was the case. And uh, the, uh, the defendant argued that the bail was set uh, unconscionably high and, and gave him no opportunity to bail out. And so they reduced it from a million to 500,000. And then it was, as we sit here today, I don't think that individual's ever gotten out, uh, even though their bail was reduced to, by half a million dollars. So um, I think this was used again in a cynical effort to drive voters to the polls uh, rather than to really cure a real issue here. And issue two is very similar. This is again about trying to create the impression that illegal vet immigrants are here in Ohio voting elections, which is not a problem. The real issue, the real problem with issue two is that it's going to take away a right that already exists, which is the right for 17 year olds to vote in primaries that are going to be 18 by the time the general election rolls around. So there's going to be a lot of people disenfranchised as a result of issue two if it passes because, um, you know, it's, an, it's a law that's been on the books for several decades now where 17 year olds that are uh, going to be old enough to vote in the 18 years old by the time the general election will be on can vote in the primary and that that's what issue two is going to do is going to deprive that of the right to vote so um so these are the issues with uh with uh, issues one and with issues two and i'll leave it to the, to the folks watching to decide for themselves whether they want to vote for these <clears throat> secretary of state uh frank larose the republican uh running for re-election has uh launched or recently announced a, an election integrity unit. I, I think that's what it's called to um, investigate um, cases of voting fraud, of voter fraud. Um, is that an issue? And why wouldn't that be, if it's a criminal matter, why wouldn't that fall to the attorney general? Well, first, I would like to say, I think we all uh, expect and want uh, 
uh, fair elections, fairly conducted elections. And I, th I don't think there's been any evidence in Ohio that there have been fraudulent voters, massive amount of voter fraud. There's been no evidence of that. So uh, the day they find some will be the first day. Um, and, and really, again, this is about creating a, an illusion that there's this problem in Ohio that doesn't appear to exist. And uh, if, if the whether if it's the uh, uh, Secretary of State or the Attorney General's office finds evidence that those those folks really ultimately need to be referred over to local prosecutors for prosecution anyway. Okay, another question for you. Um, I read an article in the New York Times this morning, not me, this is our questioner, that reported companies' profits have soared as food prices soar, that they are continuing to raise prices on consumers even after adjusting their costs for inflation. How can the AG's office crack down on this? This is a part of the, fun. it's a great question. It's part of the function of the Attorney General's office to make sure that- oh, you were gonna say it's a part of the fun of the job. <laughs> no, I was gonna say it's part of the function of the office to make sure there's no price gouging. It's part of the consumer protection function of the Attorney General's office. And I think what we've seen is, I mean, a lot of companies are making record profits, way more profits than they have in, in similar quarters on top of the inflation. And so there has to be a real hard look at, you know, why this is happening. Are they using the pandemic and supply chain issues and inflation as a cover to jack up prices and boost their profits uh, higher than they should be? And, and to me, that would be, you know, something to be looking at in terms of price gouging and protecting consumers. And yet there doesn't seem to be any interest on the current attorney general uh, to actually take a look at that or do anything about it. I'm going to push back a little bit because I think just yesterday the attorney general announced a, a suit filed against Dollar General for for uh, practices of actually charging more at the checkout than was listed at the shelf or was listed in their um, in their uh, in their mailers and their advertising. Well, that that's a fraud issue, right? That's exactly the type of role you should be playing. This is not that's not necessarily a price gouging issue, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, those types of cases when they come up, they absolutely should be prosecuted. Yeah, I was sort of hoping that the case was really that Dollar General was charging more than a dollar for things, and that was the problem. Um, the uh, it's like a little joke. What's the employee discount at the dollar store? <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Is it free? <laughs> it's, it's nothing. Um, you know, the AG's office. It's a it's a fairly large office. Um, you mentioned the BCI, the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, um, and the Civil Rights Division. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other areas where, you know, the, the, the office has really important work that a lot of people may not know about? Certainly, uh, you know, obviously representing the different various agencies across the state of Ohio. Uh, you mentioned the Public Utilities Commission. There's all types of agencies like that uh, around the state of Ohio uh, that the AG represents, um, including universities. Um, you know, we see that the attorney general has gotten himself involved in the, uh, the Dr. Strauss case, you know, the victims of the Ohio State sex abuse scandal. And the attorney general's has, uh, office has represented Ohio State in that case. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I think, you know, we should be trying to our best to understand what happened there so we protect our students going forward. Um, but that's an example of the types of things that the Attorney General's Office is workers' compensation cases um, on behalf of the state and making sure people are actually getting the recovery that they need when they're injured on the job. So a lot of folks I've talked to over the last year, you know, particularly in the trade labor uh, areas, you know, they just, if they're injured on the job, they want to be able to get the benefits they can uh, that they've earned. Uh, so they can get back rehabbed back to work as quickly as possible. And the attorney general's office often represents uh, the state and often represents uh, the state in, um, you know, in opposition to the workers. And I think that's a public policy decision that we can, we can change if we have a change in the office. 
The, during the pandemic, there were, and we, we're still seeing this being unwound, uh, enormous number of cases of unemployment fraud. Um, you know, I think the editor of the of Cleveland.com and Plain Dealer, Chris Quinn, said that uh, a file, uh, you know, somebody filed in his name with his social security number. And um, the uh, and at any rate, the what role, you know, what role do you see there? And some of that, frankly, from a total like outsider's point of view, looks like the the problem. It's sort of vulnerable because the system's so outdated. Yeah, I mean. I saw this a lot as a legislator in Parma, for example, before the pandemic started you know, for a city of about 80,000, we had a couple of hundred pending unemployment claims at any one time. And then if you look at the data at the end of March of 2020, beginning of April of 2020, when the pandemic was really taking hold, we had 7,000 pending unemployment claims. And that flood um, was just un, un, uh, unrelenting after that. And the uh, state unemployment system uh, completely collapsed. And I think it's been a failure of, of uh, successive administrations refusing to invest in a system that actually works. And, and the biggest failure of all, of course, is the security component. You know, people were logging in with their social security number and a random four digit pin. That's not security that anybody would put on their email, let alone, you know, something like a financial account. And we saw, you know, people get fraudulent 1099s for claims that they never made. So they had to address those issues on their tax reform, on their tax forms. We had people that were <clears throat> supposed to be getting reoccurring benefits that were having people hack into their account and their money re, uh, you know, rewired to a different banking routing number. So we know all that stuff was happening. Um, and you know, quite frankly, that's why uh, there was a commission, uh, a study commission uh, developed, supposed to study these problems and make recommendations. And you know, I, I've said over and over, it didn't take me uh, take me too long to be in the legislature to realize that a study commission is a, is a committee of nothing. It doesn't do anything. It, it studies a problem and does recommends things that never happen. So I'm afraid that the unemployment system has not improved one bit, um, and uh, we haven't recovered the massive millions of dollars stolen from Ohioans individually and, and, of course, from the state directly. Uh, and I think, you know, we'll see these problems continue to fester until we solve these problems. Another question from our audience. Wage theft is a huge issue in the state, probably most, probably not just the state of Ohio, elsewhere as well, with only three or four state employees on hand to investigate reports of wage theft. How can the AG's office improve this response to protect workers? You know, I've had these conversations across the state. Wage theft and misclassification of workers is uh, a significant two-headed monster. And we know that this is happening. And again, I'll, I'll point to building trade folks as an example. They go to a job work site and they know that there are people that um, often cases are uh, you know, 1099 workers rather than W-2 workers. That means they're not paying into the unemployment system. That means the employer is not paying their fair share of the taxes. It means some people are playing by the rules while others are not. And that shortchanges all of Ohioans, and those employers need to be held to account for that. And until and unless we do that, it's going to continue to happen. And what that does, what the function of that does, is it drags down people's wages, it drags down their benefits, and it hurts all of Ohioans, all of the middle class, not just the folks affected by it. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, about capital punishment, capital crimes, and also wrongful convictions. Um, currently, I'm looking at the list of, of, kind of divisions in the Ohio Attorney General's office. The Capital Crimes Unit, uh, we're told here, works to uphold death sentences, which can require years of litigation in federal courts. Um, 
And uh, the habeas unit works to keep dangerous criminals in prison by opposing litigation brought by inmates who seek to overturn valid convictions. Um, the capital punishment has been more or less on hold for years because uh, under Governor DeWine, um, it's sort of a de facto moratorium, even if nobody's actually officially calling it a moratorium um, because of an inability to find the appropriate uh, drugs that are used in the in the process of administering um, uh, the death penalty. And, um, and wrongful convictions we know are happening throughout the state. Um, we've seen high profile cases that draw our attention to them, but there's but they seem to point to a fact, the fact that, that statistically there's probably a lot more. What role do you see the AG's office playing both in, I mean, number one, where do you stand on capital punishment? Let me ask that. And then I'll follow up with the others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's a it's a it's a complicated issue, right? Everyone brings their own moral beliefs to it. Um, I was raised as a Catholic, and I know our, our Catholic uh, uh, guidance has been to oppose uh, the uh, capital punishment. But at the same time, last week I was at a, um, a protest or um, a, a vigil for the victims of the Anthony Soul um, uh, murders, and. You know, and there are some really egregious cases which, you know, beg the question whether or not capital punishment is, is deserving. And I think this moratorium has served a purpose. It's allowed us to have this discussion. And there's been dis, uh, uh, proposals on both sides of the aisle um, about whether or not we should uh, abolish uh, the death penalty in Ohio. And, you know, I think that's a debate that's going to continue and we'll see how it plays out. Um, I, you know, I know that's sort of a wishy-washy answer, but, you know, I don't know that I've ever really firmly entered uh, uh, decided one way or the other, because I think it's a struggle for all of us. Um, if you're elected, you'll have to take a stand. Well, we have to defend convictions if the, if the convictions are uh, subject to defense. Um, you know, I think that presuming that every conviction is, um, you know, should be defended is, is something uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. I think we should take a look at every single case. If there's a, a valid challenge, it's not a frivolous challenge, and the case was handled uh, below at the trial court and the appellate level, fairly then those are convictions that are that should withstand but if there's some real reason why these these cases uh, whether it's a faulty defense or evidence that wasn't provided to the defendant um, those types of situations happen too frequently and we we have to make sure that the people are being treated fairly in the criminal justice system would you um would you work closely or would you work with the ohio innocence project yeah, I, I, I respect the work of the Innocence Project. I know they're trying to do their best to make sure that the cases that they they do put forward, I don't think they put forward frivolous cases. I think they put forward cases that they firmly believe there's a justification for uh, reviewing um, and uh, making sure that the conviction uh, is a good conviction. Um, I think, you know, the criminal justice system, the values of the criminal justice system, as we were all taught, you know, in law school and before that, is that everyone deserves a fair shake, even if you you know you don't presume anyone's guilty. And if they've been a judge guilty and it's been through a faulty process, then they haven't really truly had a fair shake. So um, again, the Innocence Project does good work. Um, I respect the work that they do, and obviously those are very fact and case specific situations. Mm -hmm. The many prosecutors' offices, um, not the majority by any stretch, but many are beginning to establish conviction integrity units. You're seeing this in, uh, in a variety of, largely in, in urban areas, um, to ensure that the arrests were good arrests and convictions were solid convictions. Um, what role do you think the AG's office has in in leading that work to ensure that the 
justice system is truly devoted to justice and not just to convictions. Well, I think you made the point. I think a lot of uh, prosecutors across the state are, are, are taking the initiative of themselves, and I would like to be supportive of those efforts to make sure that those convictions uh, stand up. And I know that the folks in BCI do a really good job of uh, you know, with the work that they do in terms of the forensic analysis and things that, they, that are sent to their labs. And we want to make sure that they have the resources to be able to do the job well. And so those are the types of things that we can use to support uh, the work, the good work that our prosecutors are doing across the state. Okay, Jeff. You know, before we leave you, is there anything else you want to you want to say to voters? Boy, we really didn't get a chance to talk about gerrymandering, which is I think. Oh, okay. Let's talk about gerrymandering. Go. <laughs> Well, I think, look, I think it's the root of all evil here in the state of Ohio. We have, uh, uh -huh. you know, we voted twice to amend our state constitution overwhelmingly uh, by definition in a bipartisan way. Seventy some percent voted twice to mm. you know, give us districts yeah. that reflect our voting preferences statewide. And yet we have a legislature uh, and a redistricting commission that has refused to give us that. I think, you know, if people want government to work, if they want to get rid of this dysfunctional government that we've seen, uh, then both in D.C. and in Columbus, you got to focus on what's happening in your state legislature. Uh, we deserve to have not just fair maps. I, don't, I think people fair is sort of in the eye of the beholder, but competitive maps, maps where, uh, you know, depending whether you're Republican, Democrat or independent, you know, if you don't like your state representative, you don't believe or state senator, if you don't believe that the work that they're doing represents the work that they should be doing, then you have an opportunity at least to vote them out. So I think, you know. That's how you get, you know, having, you know, rigged districts, uh, which almost predetermine the outcome before anybody even votes, is how you get the corruption, how you get the dysfunction. And, you know, corruption is Jennifer Miller, by the way, has pointed out many times. So that's about, actually, Jeff, I'm just going to interrupt because this is, um, I love talking about gerrymandering. I usually avoid it because people like leave the conversation as soon as I start talking about it. Um, but um, this is an area where if you were elected, you would be in clear conflict with the, um, with the folks you're supposed to represent, right? Well, I think the, what the Speaker of the House, the Senate President, the Governor, and so forth. The Depending on who's elected to those roles. Yeah, right. the Attorney General is supposed to represent the redistricting commission as a whole, not specific right. individuals on, serving on the redistricting commission. Kind of like, you know, if you're a business lawyer, you represent the business, you don't represent each employee of the business. So, you know, in, in my view, Yost went off the rails when he started advocating for positions that the House Speaker were advocating for to the exclusion of the Democratic members who he went so far as to try to silence in the court. They were trying to get their voice heard in, in, in the legal um, briefings that were being uh, conducted in, in the court. And he was trying to you know, remove their voice. And I think to the extent that there's conflicts in your client redistricting commission, you have to withdraw yourself. Uh, you know, you have to allow them to get their own independent counsel and hash it out. And that's really the difference there. I think everyone certainly should have had their voice heard on the redistricting commission and the extent that there were conflicts on the commission. It's not the attorney general's place to weigh in and choose which side is right. So it's, it's an interesting, there's a real quandary there, right? Because the, the Supreme Court ruled that the redistricting commission was not actually, uh, was basically functioning in an unconstitutional ma manner, according to the constitutional amendment that you, as, that you alluded to earlier. Um, the job of the AG is to enforce the constitution, but also to represent a body that may be acting unconstitutionally. Mm -hmm. um, and as you say, you can recuse yourself and get independent counsel. What do you think the fix is for the redistricting commission? I think we're going to have to go back to the drawing board, unfortunately. Uh, you know, if the court's not willing to hold them into contempt, uh, which I think, you know, I've been practicing law for 21 years. I've never seen a party litigant in a case thumb their noses at a court seven times 
and then you know not be held accountable, not be held in contempt. And contempt can have a number of different uh, mechanisms, whether it's a fine or jail uh, for until you uh, come out of contempt. Uh, there are certain levers the court has to enforce its own orders, and the court chose not to do that for whatever reason. And uh, But barring that, I think we're going to have to go back to the drawing board and come up with a way to draft districts that really represent what the people want, which is districts that represent Ohio's voting preferences and take away some of the politics out of this. I think people are just tired of the divisiveness in state government. They just want it to work. And I think having an attorney general that's willing to say that and, and advocate for that you know, parties get to get along and, and hold both parties accountable because, mm -hmm. what's, you know, uh, it's it's great, I guess, that, that the Democrats want safe districts and Republicans want safe districts, but the voters lose because that means that politicians are picking the voters rather than the other way around. And it, it diminishes people's voice in their own state government at the end of the day. So an independent commission rather than one made of political uh, political office holders. Well, I'm not advocating one specific model. I'm, I'm pointing to one example. There's other models out there across the country in Arizona, Michigan. They've, they've done. And we have to build in some real accountability into whatever system we devise to make sure that this never happens again. Where We have two primaries that cost uh, Ohio taxpayers $25 million extra dollars, and they should have paid uh, because we had members that just didn't want to participate uh, in good faith. Jeff Crossman is a representative in the General Assembly. He represents the 15th district and he's running for attorney general. He's the Democratic candidate for attorney general. We had invited Dave Yost, the incumbent, the Republican, to join us for a debate. He declined our invitation. So we've had this conversation with Jeff. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your time and good luck to you this, this last week. Thank you and thanks everybody. Great to have you with us. Again, thanks to Jeff Crossman and thank you to the City Club Debate Committee for their work on our forum today. Next week, at the City Club, Monday, November 7th, we will hear from the 2022 National Teacher of the Year, Kurt Russell. And then on Thursday, November 10th, we will have our annual conversation about the state of downtown with Downtown Cleveland Alliance CEO and President Michael Deemer. Next Friday on November 11th, we'll learn about our state constitution, very uh, germane to what we've been discussing today, and why it actually matters a whole lot more than you might think. You can find out more about these forums and purchase tickets and learn about other upcoming forums at cityclub.org. That brings us to the end of our forum. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Jeff Crossman again and thank you members and friends of the City Club for being a part of this. Our forum is now adjourned.